You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss youth participation in outdoor recreation activities. We talk about how we estimate youth participation rates, the strengths and weaknesses of a few approaches, and what we can do to encourage more youth to get outside and have fun. Let's get into it. So what I wanted to talk about was youth participation, how we measure it, the limitations in our measurements, and um, maybe before that, like why it's important to measure. You know, if we think about participation being this uh, population triangle, population pyramid, and at least in cycle, there's this wide base of youth who are riding bikes, kids that are like three to 10 years old, because that's that's just sort of like built into the American persona is learning how to ride a bike when you're a kid. Yeah. And then you turn 16 and, and you get a car and it sort of like falls out of favor because it's cooler to like roll around town in your in your parents' car and your beat up jalopy. It's it's uh, timely for me to bring it up because we just finished our participation study. So every two years we do this like census of bicycling participation. But online survey questionnaires are just having more and more trouble year after year accessing quality respondents. Yeah, especially way- especially in that demographic, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anybody under the age of, say, geez, at this point, almost 50, that answers their phone for for a number that's not identified. For a phone survey, phone. yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. And so we'll talk about evaluating what's going on with young people in the outdoors, but I, I, want, you to, I want you to finish what you were thinking. Accessing quality respondents with an online survey questionnaire is becoming more and more difficult. And, you know, that, that's not unique to outdoor recreation. I think that's just how we as Americans are spending our leisure time and we're not spending it answering emails from folks we don't know and then jumping into a questionnaire, a, a seven to nine minute questionnaire for a chance to win a hundred dollar gift card, yeah. whatever it may be. That's that's just an example I've pulled out of the air. But the way that we gather information about youth writers is is challenging. And, and I can zoom out to like youth participation in general. We're not able to ask anyone younger than 11, I, th- I believe, um, anything on a questionnaire. And if their age is 11 to 17, they can answer a survey if their parents are nearby. I believe that's, you I, You can correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, but isn't that how it, how it's framed up? Um, you know, I think the conservative view is parental consent and that can be interpreted by lawyers in a number of different ways, I suppose. Yeah. We're all, we're very, very careful about, about, um, direct access to minors. But yeah, I mean, there there are a variety of laws that relate to that, that relate to mm-hmm. surveying youth. Um, one, way to, one way we've gotten around it, as you know, in the participation study is parents fill out the information for their children, which, you know, has bias yeah. of its own and inaccuracies of its own. But yes, it's, I mean, there there's such a wide array of barriers to um, accessing direct inf- direct voice of of youth participants these days, it's it's very difficult. And yeah. you know, I, I I don't want 
I'd rather not dive into a huge discussion about methodology, which we could definitely do because I've got some ideas about this specifically related to um, measuring local activity and, mm. and what we could do to, to maybe measure that and, and perhaps project it out. And I'm coming at this from, from a perspective of our Thrive Outside program, which is the program we run through the Outdoor Foundation. Right. And, and those are programs that work in communities with groups of providers that provide services that are usually you know directly related related to outdoor, but sometimes are, are tertiary to outdoor and it's related to the kid that are designed specifically to get kids outdoors with the understanding and the subtle science that that um, indicates that getting kids outdoors is good for their mental health, their physical health, and for their youth development. So, you know, things like intellectual growth and empathy and social interaction. And, yeah. um, and you know, we're serving tens of thousands of kids every year. Is that enough? to, you know, to push down a lot of the antiquated barriers that exist in, in communities to getting outside barriers like safety, barriers like transportation, barriers like, you know, lack of green space. So, you know, we're, we're working on that directly through communities and trying to build up the connective tissue in communities that of, of not-for-profits and, you know, traditional organizations, including K through 12. And in fact, I talked to a, a young gentleman from the Fish and Wildlife Service this morning that was providing services in, in uh, the Twin Cities area. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing when you look across the country and look at programs that are designed right, to break down those, those barriers to access. And I know you're doing yeah. a lot of that in bike as well. You know, it, can we measure it? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we could come at it from a lot of different ways. What's happening with kids and outdoors? You know, I'm seeing in the participation data and and I'm sure you've seen it too, across outdoor, the, there, there are more youth actually participating, um, mm -hmm. particularly by count. And as we look at a percentage of, of that particular population, we see you know, basically slight increases and in, particularly over COVID. But what we're seeing is a decline in outings, and that's really concerning. I we went from an average of 96 outings back in the 90s to we're down to in, we're in the 70s now across outdoor. Not this is not specific to bike. Keep in mind, and that's like number of times the individual goes out and does something outdoors per year. So that's I'm concerned about two aspects of participation. Number one, making sure that kids have access to outdoors and under and and that includes education that will allow them to do things like hiking and biking and fishing and boating and hunting, but also about their, you know, the number of times they, they actually are participating. So sort of their commitment to the outdoors. Yeah. Bike's funny. So, so we have noticed a slight, but significantly statistically significant decrease in participation rate. So the, the percent of youth ages three to 17 who are riding mm -hmm. dropped from 52% in 2020 to 49% in 2022. Once again, I will say that is a material drop. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just to just to like ground ourselves in, you know, the fact that half of the kids in America in that age group are riding bikes. Like that's that's enormous. And and we're going from a lot to just a little bit less than a lot. But, you know, the trending those data, it is a statistically significant trend helps us identify areas where we can um, approach that with better programming and, um, you know, like find products that meet the needs of today's youth rider and that sort of thing. But we're seeing this interesting shift in frequency. So the middle ground is sort of shrinking. We're seeing increases in those who are riding infrequently and increases in those who are riding 
extremely frequently, like those really avid kids who are just like burning up their stride or going around the block. But those who are just kind of sort of in the middle ground are, are shrinking. They're either becoming really avid or they're becoming very infrequent. So a, it's an interesting time for, so, for youth. Go ahead. Sorry to step on you, man. I've got an urgent question. All yeah. right. So I'm, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about that. So you you started this. You're talking about the fact that learning how to ride a bike is part of the American experience. Like we, you know, we all have that story yeah, about yeah. when we learned how to ride a bike. Most of us have that story. Is that shrinking? Hmm, that's a really good question. I don't know that we can answer that. Yeah, and is that important? I mean, is that archetype important? Because it's just sort of a rite of passage, right? When you're a kid. For me, and I'm Gen X, everybody. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm Gen X. <laughs> so you could ignore me now. <laughs> but. You know, thinking about it, like, we, you know, when you're a kid, we were we were taught how to ride a bike or we learned how to ride a bike. We learned how to swim. You know, we we learned how to do a lot of outdoor things. And it was just part of yeah. the child, the just general childhood experience when we were growing up. And, you know, it's it's a it's a serious question. I mean, thinking about indications of that change. Think about Think about this. And I want to ask you another question related to this. Think about stranger things. I mean, what are those kids doing? Oh, those their kids bikes zipping around on bikes. Everywhere, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I want, I, I want to ask you this. Did you see a bump in youth participation because of stranger things? Could you attribute any of the increase to stranger things? You know, I don't think we could say with any confidence that it was the result <laughs> of the Netflix series, Stranger Things. I thought it was all That's... just people for bikes running a PSYOP. By, by... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, between Stranger Things and um, Pokemon Go. Yeah, I bet there were like nominal increases in, uh, in frequency, but I don't know if that converted someone, if that converted a child from not having an interest in bikes to having an interest in bikes. But yeah, when, when Pokemon Go came out, when was that? 2016, 17, yeah. something like that. I think um, it might have been. It might have been. There were kids all over the trail in, in my area. Out. I was I was like riding my normal ride. And it was so refreshing to see kids out and about on bikes, just like zipping across the park, trying to find this Pokemon or that Pokemon. That that was a really unique time. And I, I, I don't know that that had a whole lot of lasting power. I, I think it was a fun trend for a little while, but to, to bring it back to our, our measurement tools, it's, it's really difficult to like find that sort of event and then, and then measure with confidence that a change of participation was a result of that event. It's, you know, when we think about participation, we zoom out to like annual trends. Did you ride in the last year more than once? Did you ride more than six times or 12 times? We sort of start defining avidity uh, based on frequency there, but it's hard to attribute that to a, a trend in the popular culture quite like that. Yeah, that's it. That's um, a hard. But that's a cool. That's a cool projection. discussion. Stranger Things. <laughs> now it's going to be like in your that. head. You're going to see the kids yeah. riding around on bikes yeah. in your head. I promise you. And that, and then tonight later you go and maybe I will watch that season over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 sort of interesting to think about how we would go about like, accurately measuring what's going on with kids. And it might be community by community. I'm, I'm sort of at this place where I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't think we can measure um, or project numbers based on any of the apps that we would normally use for, say, adults. Yeah. Are, kids, are kids using any of the apps that are available for bike riders? And, and would they use that? I mean, is it just a different kind of riding? Man, what a good question. I, you know... I use apps because I want to track my progress towards a goal. I want to be able to share that I like, you know, hit some PR 
with my my friends. I don't want to go, ha, you know, I, I like whatever. I went 40 miles and my average speed is usually 13 to 14 miles an hour. This time it was 16. Look at me. I don't know if that- It was windy, man. It was windy. Hey, get out of here. I don't need, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. I, it's a PR. It was a loop. It was a headwind out. It was tailwind back. Um, sure, man. Sure. I, I don't know if that- <laughs> Th- those um, drivers exist for youth participation. And, and you know, if, if I'm thinking about youth participation, I'm thinking a lot of it is to and from school. I, I think a lot of it is like terrorizing neighborhoods with kids on, on bikes, like little bike gangs. I know that was, I, I joke about terrorizing neighborhoods, but, you know, we would zip through neighborhoods to go pick up our friends and then go like ride down to the creek and skip rocks and, and stupid kid stuff in Texas yeah. in the back in the we day. Were, um, we were worse. We set up jumps and then jumped over each <laughs> other. Oh, we did that for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Right in full view of everybody in the neighborhood too. All the moms. Yeah. They didn't oh, care. Welcome to Gen funny. X. Like, uh, did you get landed on? <laughs> Dummy. <laughs> One time That's I was skateboarding good. down a hill. I got a, I, I fell, hit my head. My vision was messed up, but my mom was just oh. like, just don't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. That's all I got. That's a bad one. Don't go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's so maybe, all right, let's, let me throw out an idea. What if we just, you know, had somebody in the community paid him 20 bucks to go count, count the number of bikes in the bike rack at school every day? Or like a couple of days a year. Just ask the school, how many bikes are in the bike rack today? Three three yeah. times a year we did that. And we just did it at like a, a beta of 20 schools across the country. What do you think that would mm. tell us? Would that tell us anything other than what was going on at the schools maybe? What else could we do? Because I want to talk. I'm gonna. I'm getting to, I want to talk to the kids. Yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, it's it's always best to have that sort of like straight from the horse's mouth. Like if you can talk to kids, yeah, you know, I, that's obviously preferable. But having some sort of intercept survey like that, where you're just counting bikes in a bike rack, I think that's certainly um, a really valuable data point. I, People for Bikes is in this transitional time, sort of a zooming out and assessing our data as it exists in, in little kind of silos and understanding data points as triangulation points and not as the sole observation on which we'll hang our hat. And I think this, you know, that that's an amazing idea. Like, could that be a triangulation point? Could we take that and add it to other or add other context to it to understand broad trends in youth participation? That's that's a cool idea. Excellent. Yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a big believer in triangulation. And yeah. I gave, and I yeah. think I gave you the, the lecture about sextants and navigation and where triangulation yeah. comes from. I, that yeah. was one or two sorry. episodes ago, too. I, I yeah, think you sorry, Patrick. Sorry, man. That's what I'm here for it. <laughs> but I absolutely 100% agree with you. The more data points you have, the more ways that you can, you can position and perceive your market and your participant, um, yeah. the better you're going to be. I and mean, we'll go back to Sun Tzu, who says those who have the most information tend to win. Every time I talk about market research, you know, I think about it. I think about Sun Tzu and I think about information mm-hmm. and the and the power of it. I've got to give a lecture to University of Colorado students on Tuesday. And I've been thinking a lot about what I'm going to say about the power of information and the power of data. And this is part yeah. of it. I mean, with sort of a dearth of information about kids because, you know, we, we, we have information, right? We have the participation study. You have the participant study that you just did that's specific to bike. You know, we've got anecdotal information about what's going on with the sales of kids' bikes. We've got anecdotal information about what kids are doing on bikes in various communities, but we could always use more. You know, I think both of us always use more totally greedy for data and never, I don't think I've ever said no to more data. 
So the official People for Bikes Research Department mission statement is, get ready. I can't wait to hear this. We want to know everything about everything. <laughs> it's an all-encompassing, but very simple mission does that, statement. Does that and mean it's, it's, that, that Patrick Hogan wants to be God? No, 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 no. I just want to know. I would like to be omnipotent. I mean, why stop there? Hell yeah, man. That would be yeah. a horrible curse, by the way, if you were completely omnipotent. To know everything about everything. That's that's what drives us to find these additional data points, new data points that can supplement information and complement information. It's that that helps us uh, like stay on the cutting edge of what data are available and how we can leverage them to better understand trends in participation or sales or preferences or motives and drivers. No anything. doubt. You can never know enough. Right? You yeah. can never know enough. Sometimes I think about this in terms of, of historians. You can spend your entire career just learning what went on on one day. On one day, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, never mm-hmm. know everything. Right? That's a, yeah. and, and sometimes when I get frustrated because, you know, sometimes we don't have full knowledge about exactly what's going on in bike. I mean, there there was a trend I talked to to the guys at Outside about yesterday that I saw with my own two eyes and went, what the hell? Huh, look at that. I was at a mountain bike race up on my yeah. home trail in uh, in the Frederick watershed. And I picked a spot where there was some, you know, it was a really difficult, loose downhill followed directly by a big log feature in a rock garden. And I was like, oh, so many mistakes will be made. And I was right <laughs> about that. It, it was fascinating to watch every go, everybody go through. But I was, as I watched all the riders go through, you know, from the front runners to, you know, the, the age groupers to the back of the pack, I just want to yeah. say I did this kind of, kind of racers. There was, a, there was a look for the mountain bike woman that I had not noticed before. And it was so prevalent that, that I had to, I, I, was, I, I was sort of thinking, oh my God, I've missed this. Okay. Mountain, mountain bike woman. Now, like the, so, the, the super, like the ones that are core, the yeah, ones that are the front runners. And even in the backpack, they're wearing two braided, like they're putting their hair in these two braided pigtails. It looks awesome. And they're just so fit and just awesome. And there was that, it was just that look over and over and over again. Mm. I was saying, oh my God, what does this mean? What does this mean for how we can market bicycling to women? Particularly, yeah. I mean, and just thinking, I mean, you you were talking about the evils of marketing earlier, and I was thinking, ah, what the hell, you know, let's do a Pepsi challenge and offer a Harrier jet. But I mean, hold on. <laughs> did you watch that documentary? Oh, yeah, I did. I love I'm it. halfway through it. Yeah, we can, we can talk about that <laughs> offline. That's that's so funny you brought that up. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep I'm going to get 7 million Pepsi points. Thank you. Having even even sort of the trivial understanding of things like, you know, what are, what's going on with the look of and feel of things? Yeah. What are, You know, what are, what are people attracted to about this? This activity and how are they how are they experiencing it that's the level i want to get to and that's the level of consumer intelligence that the industry wants us to get to so yeah. you know i think i think we can pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we do understand a lot about what's going on with youth participation and maybe we don't have the absolute most granular clearest data about what's going on but look we're two people man so you know we're going to do the best we can with the resources we have and if we had more resources and yes that is that is a call out for anybody that would like to present us with resources to do more research <laughs> we, we can we can drill into the the consumer the consumer's mind to the point where we understand why 
why trends are happening yeah. as, as they're happening. That's where I want to get with kids, especially because if that archetype is changing, if it no longer becomes normal for kids to learn how to ride a bike when they're growing up, or it's mm -hmm. no longer normal for kids to ride to school because of safety concerns or some other concern, those yeah. are the little pieces of information that in addition to all the triangulation that we're doing with the other data, that's where the gold is right there. We need to we need to see that and 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 deal with it right where it starts. That's the power of information. Thank you, Sun Tzu. I'm I'm like ready to like run through a wall for you, Kelly. That was a great like motivating speech. That was. And I, I'm gonna just play that to my boss over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So we talked a lot about bike. We did. Is there another industry that that um do you think may face challenges in collecting data or that could benefit greatly from a better understanding of youth participation? Sure. Um, go for it. Only every single one. Yeah, that's the answer I was hoping for. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but if I'm thinking about the activities that you track closely, there are some out-the-door activities that I have to imagine are difficult for you to get a grasp on, like how many youth are hiking, how many kids are spending time with their parents out on trails, just with a granola bar and a, a good pair of shoes, spending time outdoors. Is, Actually, is that the case? I think because they're larger activities, right? And, yeah. and you, we've talked about the methodology of the participants patient study many times where we've got a quota and we get 18,000 responses. And those people, they're taking surveys because they're incentivized to do so. And, and that's I mean, the, the physical activity council's participation correct. study, right? Yeah. Correct. So in, in larger activities, um, including hiking and walking outdoors, um, those are, you know, we're, we're looking at the gateways to outdoors. We're, we're seeing increases in participation and we're seeing increases in youth participation. It's the outings that we're concerned about at this point, which is, you know, at some point I knew in this podcast, we were going to talk about screen time. And I know if somebody's out there listening, going, what about screen time? How are we competing as kids being indoors and gaming and all yeah. that? And I mean, yes, that's, that's a concern. And I think that is a reasonable reason in, in our look for causal variables in, yeah. in the decline in outings. But, you know, we're, we can, we're seeing that sort of across the board. I'm not seeing it specifically in, in any certain place. Do we need to know about more about youth participation, especially when we're seeing declines in participation in very particular categories? Absolutely. We need to look yeah. at that. And, and, you know, I'm seeing those in, in a few categories here and there, but I'm waiting to see how those play out post COVID, right? The, yeah. the, the participation data that we have live now, the 2021 data is still mid pandemic. It is. I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, I sure. don't think we got out until 2022. So I'm kind of sitting on my hands and saying, I'm not going to go through the process of trying to attribute cause to any of this until we get through this and see what things look like afterwards. And there are going to be some lasting impacts. And I hope that some of those lasting impacts are actually positive and include an increase in outdoor activity across the board. So that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm hoping for. I can hope about data all I want. It just doesn't matter <laughs> at all. I mean, data is going to be what yeah. data is. I want to jump back to something you said. I, um, I have done research on the hunting and shooting side about screen time and youth participation. And I think it's really easy, you know, without having data in front of you to come to this conclusion that kids are spending more time in front of screens and kids are therefore not participating, but it's, it's less generational, at least in that uh, particular category. And it, it has more to do with recent trends and how we as Americans are spending time with our phones, spending time watching TV or, or uh, streaming content. But that also offers an opportunity 
to use those platforms and use those mediums to introduce folks to an activity um, and kind of meet them where they are. We we found that, I, I can't remember the age group, but it was like middle-aged men. There was a, a statistically significant group that were that were motivated to try hunting or to try target shooting because of video games. And that's that's sort of counterintuitive. We think that there's kids in basements playing Call of Duty and that they're um that's how we're we're getting them interested. But it was like guys in their their 30s and 40s that were like, you know what, maybe I can go outside and I can try this for real. So I, I don't want it to be a totally negative conversation. I know you weren't framing it up that way, but I, it's really easy to get stuck in the spiral of like, oh, these darn kids are just spending time on their screens and they're they're not going to participate in hunting and fishing activities that are going to support Pittman Robertson dollars and and conserve our wildlife areas and our our state parks and stuff. A, I think there's opportunity and B, I think it's it's not so generational and we don't need to just pick on the kids. Um absolutely not. Uh and you know you know that this conversation that we have fairly often often leads me to talk about augmented reality and you were talking about Pokemon Go, right? That's yeah. we talked about that earlier. That's an example of of technology getting kids and adults. My God, I came home one day and my neighbor was wandering around in my yard with a phone. I was like, "What? The, what are you doing, man?" He's like, "Pokemon Go." Like, yeah. Shit. Oh my! My stepmother is still really into Pokemon still doing Go. It? She, yeah, yeah. She is. Um, she's a professional woman in her sixties who just fell in love with Pokemon Go and is all about it. And like. It, she loves it. She gets outside. She goes on hikes all the time. They're they're up above Golden and um, kind of in the foothills in the mountains here in Colorado. And yeah, she she digs it. I mean, it it awesome. I, I sort of said earlier like <laughs> it was it was kind of a blip, but I there there are crowds that still dig it. And yeah, it's, it's a tool to get people outside. Yeah, absolutely. And this always leads me to my favorite conversation where I'm still looking for somebody to build my augmented reality app called Chase the Yeti, in which you're wearing eyewear. <laughs> Yeah. augmented reality eyewear that pops up a Yeti that you just chase and you can chase it on skis or on a bike or, you know, on a trail, whatever it is. But, yeah. you know, it pops in and out. You get points for, you know, reaching out and touching it. I love this idea. As and long I, as the Yeti's not chasing me, I think I'm on board. Well, we can change the game for you. <laughs> no. That's actually an no. interesting idea. We no. have two game modes. I don't chase like that. Or be chased. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But I think that there's a nexus in outdoor and technology that has not been adequately explored yet. We're never going to have people just go. I remember the days when it was just put your phone down and put your tech away and, you know, get back to nature. And that was sort of the stance. Well, like just to be realistic, right? People are people get anxious when their phone's four feet away from them. Right. So we're, I don't think we're it's I think that's a futile battle and one that's not as productive as one saying, let's explore the nexus between technology and outdoor. I mean, think yeah. about the possibilities for hunting. I've been thinking about this a lot. I, oh, my yeah. God. I mean, imagine wearing wearing eyewear that that allows you to, you know, detect heat, for example. I, yeah, that'd be neat. What would be most useful for me is is have an augmented reality that can tell me the border between public land and private land. And I, I ought not to cross that fence, but crossing <laughs> this other fence is just fine. Is that the um, voice of experience, my friend? I won't. Well, I mean, that's, that's worry, the this voice is of someone right. who's who's like had to like unfold the doggone map on a windy mountainside and go like, I, I'm pretty sure this is still public, but let's just triple check to make sure we're not in a spot we shouldn't be. So, so I'm going to go a step further and say, Yes, I, I love that idea. Let's let's lean in on finding ways 
to um, enhance the outdoor experience by bringing tech into it. But I would suggest that just meeting participants and those who are interested but haven't yet participated, just meeting them where they are. I really do enjoy setting down my phone and going hunting and just truly plugging into every sight and smell and sound around me and being like super present in the moment because you, you're forced to like pay attention to everything or else you might miss something really important. But other folks might really want to integrate technology into their activity. Having the ability to meet those customers, meet those participants where they are um, is is the only way that we're going to encourage non-participants to get into it. And that's no youth, that's adults, that's, that's anyone who hasn't yet tried something, just figure out what they want to do and let's make it happen. Yeah. You, okay. Well, you, it's a really the, broad statement, but I, no, man, cause I'm, a, I, I want to tee up a, I want to tee up a future episode here Yeah. because as you know, I do, I do enjoy TikTok, right? I'm not a content I know creator, this about you. but I love TikTok and somehow the algorithm keeps bringing me um, the live streams of hunters which I find hilarious, right? Just because of what you said. I mean, part of it is just, I'm interested, right? And some of it, they're hilarious videos of hunters being approached by animals, which I think is pretty funny. Squirrels, foxes, bears. I have never seen more mule deer than when I was on an elk hunt a couple of weeks ago and mule deer (laughs) season had ended. And these mule deer knew it and they're fucking everywhere. They're laughing at you, man. We're like trying to get them out of the way. We're like, guys, we don't, can you, we're trying to track... No, they're they're just totally I brazen. I think they, that they, the I think they're in they're tune smart. with their intentionality. I think that's how they to... made it past the season. <laughs> is they're the smart ones, no doubt. Uh, well, it's it's funny to think about um, social media and influencers in outdoor. Um, and I, you know, I watch. I do the. I do get hunters. I do get fishing, mm-hmm. and I do get a whole bunch of through hikers. And so I, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I basically follow a whole bunch of people in the outdoors. And I think that we need to talk about the influence of social media and outdoors and and the opportunities that that presents and and you know what's going on in that space right now because I yeah. think that that's having an influence as well on you know in addition to thinking about gaming or you know the some of the hunting and fishing related type video games that you can play which are awesome by yeah. the way um but you know just just thinking about what people do experience on screen and social media is a huge part of that yeah i think that's a like that's a perfect cliffhanger to end this episode on youth participation is that yeah. social media is a pretty big tool and that that's a part of meeting those participants and non-participants where they are so that we can get them interested get them informed and then hopefully get them outside excellent let's talk about that later I dig it. All right. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.